A few weeks ago, I was uh, just uh, came coming home from work, and I, I stopped at the grocery store to pick up a few things needed to uh, fix supper that night. And so, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you pick up a few things, and somehow they multiply uh, by the time you get to the checkout stand or whatever, and you have more than you expected. And so, loaded the bags into the v- car and uh, minivan, drove home, you know, parked in the garage. And, and when I opened the door in the garage and, and headed inside, you know, I saw all these bags of groceries, and, and I took took that as a personal challenge, that uh, there was no way I was going to make the extra 12 steps it would take to come back into the garage and make two trips with these grocery bags. So I, I loaded them up, you know, and, and you pile them up and, and you kind of put three bags on each finger and you do whatever you need to do, you, you know, to carry all these bags in. And, and it reminded me that the, the more we try to hold on to something, sometimes uh, the more difficult it is and the more painful it is. Maybe on the way in this morning, you decided, you know, I'm going to enjoy a, a, a delicious hot beverage, and you, you made a cup of coffee, and we have these wonderful sleeves on the cup, so it's not so bad, but have you ever put a, a cup of, uh, you know, filled a cup with hot coffee, and the cup wasn't insulated as well as you thought, you know, it was, and you grabbed a hold of it, and then you're trying to make your way into the classroom, or the lecture hall, or, or work, or wherever you're going, and you start to do that kind of hand dance with the cup of coffee, because you can't hold on to it so long. The more you hold on to it in one hand, the tighter you hold that cup of coffee, the more painful it is. Uh, a few years ago, I was coaching uh, my daughter's softball team, and we were setting up a series of, of batting drills, hitting drills. And so we were explaining each station, each hitting drill, and came to the last station. And, and maybe I wasn't too excited about the enthusiasm that the athletes were having that practice or whatever. And I wanted to really tell, you can do this drill. It's a difficult drill. It's a rapid pace drill, but you can do this. You can do this. And, and I grabbed a bat and I said, if, if, if I can do it, you can do it. And so I got ready for this drill and they started to feed the, the softballs and I swung the bat and I quickly realized I can't do this you know because I was I was so excited and I had the bat and I swung the bat and I just flung the bat and I was grateful only that I didn't kill a teenage girl with the club that I had hurled in their direction right the sometimes the the tighter we hold on to something uh, the worse it gets and the more difficult the situation uh, becomes. And, and that's true of all sorts of things. But when we think about prosperity, this idea of, of, of resources and gathering resources, and we, sometimes we get so focused on what's right in front of us, we want to hold on so tightly to what we have that, that we lose perspective of, of the, the bigger story, what's really out there. And, and this morning we're going to realize Jesus is going to kind of shift our focus. He wants, to, he wants us to change our focus from just what's right in front of us to a, a more eternal perspective. And we can certainly plan for eternal prosperity. We can be a part of this plan that Jesus has for our eternal prosperity. And I, I think in Luke chapter 12, he tells a story beginning in verse 13, and we're going to work our way through verse 21 this morning in chapter 12, where Jesus raises three questions about how we can be a part of of his plan for this eternal prosperity. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to open them up to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to take a look at verses 13 uh, through 21 this morning as we uh, think about the story that Jesus teaches, that he shares, and the, the three questions that he raises. Luke 
the 12th chapter. We're going to begin in verse 13 this morning. This is what God's Word says. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. All right, an interesting story that Jesus shares and three questions that he raises. Question number one is, are you even asking the right questions? We have to begin with this really basic thing. Are we asking the right questions? Our, our story begins with Jesus uh, teaching to this crowd of people. And verse uh, 13 says, someone in the crowd said to him, and this really large crowd had gathered. In fact, if you go back to the beginning of, of chapter 12, you'll read uh, Luke's description of that crowd saying that the crowd had become so large in verse 1 that people were trampling on one another. People were literally stepping over themselves and others trying to get near to Jesus. And with this huge crowd that that Jesus was speaking to, he he was teaching about, and this is yeah, it sounds a little bit odd, but he was teaching this huge crowd who had gathered, this is how you, you need to persevere against persecution. This is how you need to handle persecution. In the midst of this message, this guy makes his way to Jesus and shouts out to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You know, sometimes we can have some disagreements with one another and, and they kind of resolve you. Maybe you go your separate ways for a little while and, and cooler heads prevail and, and the disagreement just kind of subsides a little bit. Sometimes you talk them out and, and sometimes the disagreements are, are more intense. And it's been my experience anyway that when you have a, a disagreement with somebody, the, the closer you are to somebody and you have a disagreement with them, sometimes the more intense that disagreement can be. And and if you've ever had an argument or uh, you've had a confrontation with a sibling, with a brother or a sister, man, sometimes those can be difficult disagreements to sort of work our way through, right? They, they shouldn't be. They, we ought to be, you know, closer to our, our family than anyone else. And my daughter Lacey, she has this friend Scout, and they've been calling each other. They'll, they'll refer to each other as Brother Lacey and Brother Scout. I don't really know what's going on there, right? I don't really understand it, but I think it's a term of endearment. I think they, they like each other, and so they, they're talking about how close they are as friends, and certainly brothers ought to be really very close. But when we're that close, sometimes the disagreements really get heated. And, and this man brings this disagreement to Jesus. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance 
with me. Now you go back to the Old Testament and you kind of study Jewish law a little bit. You read some stories about inheritance in the Old Testament. You maybe remember that there was this unique kind of wrinkle with, with uh, the firstborn son in Jewish families. And the firstborn son would inherit a double portion of the inheritance. And so some Bible scholars think, well, that's probably what's going on here. This is a younger brother who looks at this situation and he says, this is sort of unfair. And, and so he brings this situation to Jesus and says, tell my brother to divide this inheritance more equitably. Tell him to share this more with me. And Jesus responds in verse 14 by saying, but he said to him, man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? He, he sort of dismisses this guy in his question. What you need to know is that it wouldn't have been unusual for people to bring kind of the civil matter to a religious leader. Uh, that Jewish people didn't separate between religious law and civil law. And so often folks would come with their civil disagreements to the rabbi to the, the religious teacher. And so it wouldn't be so odd for this guy to think, well, Jesus could settle this matter. But so often, Jesus, while we're kind of looking at what's right in front of our face, we're looking at everything from surface level. We've got this, we've got this look at, at what's very practical and what's right in front of us, and we bring this problem, and man, Jesus solved this. Jesus is looking at it from a completely different angle. A few chapters ago in the book of Luke, there's a story told about four buddies who bring their friend who was paralyzed to, to meet Jesus. You, you maybe remember the story from Sunday school or, or when you were a kid at VBS or whatever. They, we love to tell the story about four friends who worked so hard to bring their buddy to see Jesus that when the crowd is so large and they can't get into the house where Jesus was teaching, they go up to the neighbor's roof and then they pass their friend over from one roof to another. And they hop the roof over to where the, the house where Jesus was teaching and they begin to dig and bust through the roof of that home. And, you know, you can imagine things falling down around as Jesus is preaching this message. And he's kind of like, what's going on? And, and then they lower their friend on this mat in front of Jesus. And they, they have worked so hard and they have gone to such great lengths because they want their buddy to be able to walk to work instead of being carried to beg. And so that's what they see. And that's what they know. And I, I always, when I read this story, I wonder, I wonder, what were they thinking when Jesus looks at this man and he's going to heal him? He says, get up. But then he follows that command with, your sins are forgiven. Jesus not only reached into this surface level need that these folks had. You know, it was significant, but it was just this practical kind of earthly need. He looks beyond that to this deeper spiritual need. He said, man, this guy, what he really needs is his sins forgiven. And you need your sins forgiven. And you need, you know, he goes down the list. And, and Jesus sees this really significant spiritual need. And that's essential what's going to happen in our text this morning. This guy brings this very uh, basic, troubling uh, disagreement that he has with his brother, this practical, surface-level kind of argument. And he said, Jesus is going to say, well, there's something bigger here. There's something more uh, important that you need to pay attention to. And he moves on in verse 15 to say, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
take care and be on your guard. When you read that, that phrase, be on your guard in the New Testament, often we're talking about temptation or the enemy and what he might bring uh, to believers. And you have to watch out for the enemy. And one of his biggest tricks is certainly greed. And, and Jesus looks into the heart of this man and says, well, you know, you've worked so hard to, to bring a question before me, to be able to get close enough to talk to me. And, and uh, you, you're going to let greed influence uh, this, this first conversation. Can you imagine this guy? You go back to the beginning of verse 12 and you know, people are climbing over each other to get near Jesus. And so what did this man have to do to get within shouting distance of Jesus? You know, he had to worm his way through people in the crowd, didn't he? He had to look for that open spot and kind of dodge in. And then when that open spot closed, he had to kind of elbow his way into that space. And he literally wormed and weaseled and shoved his way to meet with Jesus. He worked so hard to get to Jesus. And then his question that he asks, how do I get more? Not just, how do I get more? Right? That would be something. If we, if we work so hard to get close to Jesus, and, and our question is just, how do I get more? But he literally asks, how do I make sure that my brother has less so that I can have more? If you want to understand what an old Bible word like covet means, well, it's this guy in this story. It's this brother. How do I make sure that my brother has less so that I can have more? He was so greedy that he, wanted to, he, he needed to devalue, to take away from his brother so that he could gain more. And Jesus said, you have to watch out for that kind of greed. You have to watch out for that kind of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Several months ago, I was cleaning out some stuff in my office, and one of the things I cleaned out was this old file cabinet. This file cabinet contained a, a couple decades' worth of lessons and sermons. Uh, they had youth ministry lessons and just a, a couple decades' worth of material. And I thought, you know, I just couldn't bring myself. I, I don't want to just throw this stuff away. Occasionally, I even look back at it. I might need it later. And so I asked one of our ministry assistants, hey, just when you have time, will you scan this in and we'll save it all on a, on a thumb drive and you can just save it by title and scripture reference. And, and I'm going to reduce, you know, this entire file cabinet into something I can hold in the palm of my hand. I thought that's going to be pretty cool. And so just when you have time, will you do this? And as I, as I bring out this box, uh, uh, it was a significant sized cardboard box filled with uh, you know, files and, and lessons and all sorts of stuff. And, and I thought I was a little bit sad because it was like two decades of ministry uh, just piled in this box. You know, have you ever done that? You know, you maybe moved, you looked at the, the stuff you were taking and you thought, oh man, this is all this, all these years and I'm left with just this box. I'm left with this stuff. Uh, that's not really the case, is it? I mean, you know, there are names that we could, I could list from those years in ministry. You know, I, uh, Jeff and, and Jared and, and Megan and Amy. And you can make your own list of, of relationships and people who are making a difference in, in, in the world in so many different ways because of uh, your relationship with them. And, and, and so that we, we can't shove all of our life into just the material things that we have that kind of maybe represent those. And, and so it was a brief 
moment of despair when you look at a couple decades because that's not the real ministry. You know, the ministry are the, are the families, even from Wallula Christian Church, who are, are moved a, a, literally around the world serving Jesus and making a difference in His kingdom in all sorts of capacities. You've influenced those folks. You've made a difference in those families' lives. And, and you can see uh, how... Uh, our life consists more than just of the stuff that we can accumulate around us. Now, we have to ask ourselves the first question we need to consider as we look at this story that Jesus tells is we, we need to pay attention to this brother and say, you know, are we asking the right questions? When I struggle and manage, when I, when I come to Jesus and I, I meet with Him, am I asking Him the right things? Am I paying attention to the right things? And that's really question number two. Question number two is who takes priority in your planning? Jesus tells the story. He launches into the story in verse uh, 16. He says, And He told them the parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And He thought to Himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink and be merry but God said to him fool this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so Jesus tells this interesting story, uh, we call it a parable, right? All through the Gospels, you'll read about these parables. I remember from vacation Bible school when I was like eight years old, I learned a definition for a parable, and I think it, it still fits, it still applies. It's the definition I use when I think of these stories. They're earthly stories. They're stories told with everyday kinds of things, these practical surface level things that we can understand and we can relate to, but they carry a heavenly meaning. Jesus is looking at this situation from, you know, kind of this 35,000 foot view, right? He's seeing the big picture and he has this spiritual uh, depth that he wants to relay to, to the crowd as he tells them the story. He tells them a story about a rich man who, who had a farm and he, uh, it produced plentifully. He had lots of crops and he was doing so well, in fact, that he had filled all his barns with all the crops. He had filled everything up and, and he didn't have anywhere else to store the crops that were still being harvested, that he was still bringing in. So he, he had to have a plan. And he decided, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tear down my barns and I'm going to build bigger barns. And so he did just that. He built bigger barns and stored more of his crops in those barns. And, and then, this is my favorite part of the story, because, you know, he, he kind of asked himself, self? He said, soul? Right? He asked his soul, you know, I've got all this stuff, and now the rest of my life is, is clear sailing. I can eat and drink and be merry. And then God called in this debt that this man owed that night, right? And his life was taken from him. An interesting story. I think there are three things that we have to understand from this story as we consider, you know, what's going on in our planning? Who's taking priority? The first thing is, is that Jesus, he's not against having a plan. You know, he, he doesn't, he's not telling you, hey, when you, when you consider the resources I've given you to manage, when you consider your finances, your wealth, however you want to think about it, uh, you, he, Jesus isn't saying you ought not have a plan. In fact, just the opposite we learned last week. Uh, Paul writes to the church in Corinth about this uh, offering that he's receiving for the church in Jerusalem, and he said, you need a plan. You need to have a plan to, to consider how much you earn so you know how much you 
can give and then bring that gift every, every Sunday to worship and so that you can gather this together and then we'll take it to the church in Jerusalem. So he, he laid out this plan for managing resources. God is not against planning. Jesus isn't trying to say, you know, you just need to rely on me uh, and, and, and avoid thinking about it for yourself and, and don't plan at all. Uh, he just wants us to pay attention and have him involved in the plan. That's really the issue that the farmer had. The second thing that we ought to learn from the story is that the farmer had a little bit of an uh, eye disease. He was just paying attention to himself. If you just go through the story that Jesus tells in these couple of verses and just underline the pronouns, you'll, you'll see how this eye disease comes out. Uh, you underline these pronouns and it's he, himself, I, 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 my, my. The farmer was only concerned about himself. This is how resources, wealth, money, this is how it works in, in a lot of times in, in our uh, our context. It's easy for us to see the eye disease in someone like the farmer. It's easy to see the eye disease in, in somebody else, but it's much more difficult for us to evaluate uh, our, our own heart and determine, hey, are we guilty of this same kind of eye disease? I just wanted to share a few statistics with you. Uh, the first one is, is that in the United States, the average home contains 300,000 items. Do you think that can be true? You go through your house, do you think you have 300,000 items? That's a lot of stuff, huh? The average home in the United States has actually tripled in size in the last 50 years. One in 10 Americans have, uh, still have an off-site storage unit, even though you know, the, the home sizes have tripled in the last 50 years. 25% of people with at least a two-car garage have no room to park their cars in their garage. Right? We have a lot of stuff. You know, we, we start kids young, because in the United States, kids make up 3.7% of, of the kids on the planet, but have 47% of the, of the toys. 12% of the world's population lives in North America and Western Europe, but they account for 60% of private consumption spending. Americans donate 1.9% uh, of income to charitable causes. Americans spend more, as a, as a parent with a kid in college and another one going off, and you, you hear a lot of talk about secondary education and uh, the, the higher education and the cost of that. Americans spend more, though, on shoes, jewelry, and watches than on higher education. Almost $100 billion, according to psychology today. Shopping malls out, outnumber high schools. Americans spend $1.2 trillion annually on non-essential goods, stuff we don't need. Right? This is the last one. We'll spend 3,680 hours. That's 153 days over the course of our lifetime just looking for stuff that we lost, that we misplaced. <laughs> right? There's a lot of stuff. You know, and I, I just think, you know... I, Man, I, I don't suppose I'm going to go home and count and see how high I can get if I can get to 300,000 items in my house, right? I, I don't suppose you ought to do that. But, but I do think as we consider this farmer and how easy it is for us to look at him and say, well, yeah, he was only concerned about himself. himself. He was only concerned about accumulating stuff and surrounding himself with what he could, you know, the toys and the wealth that he had, you know, maybe we need to take a look at our own eye disease and consider if, uh, 
if there's anything there that we need to, to look out for. You know, who takes priority in our life and in our planning? The last thing is, is that, uh, that we need to consider from this story is that, that, you know, the farmer gets to this place in verse 19 where he, he has that weird conversation. It's kind of fun to think about. Soul? Yeah, what's going on? He said, look, I've got everything I need. I've got so much even that I, I can now relax and eat and drink and be merry. I, that sounds a little bit like what, what I've heard and learned as the American dream, Right? I want to work hard, I want to earn enough, I want to get to a place. And, and for most of us, we think about it in terms of maybe retirement. I want to, I want to get to a place where I can kind of enjoy and, and just uh, eat, drink, and be merry. I kind of get to that spot and, and that'll be enough and that'll be good. And Well, I, I, you know, this guy, he, he says, well, what are you really paying attention to? Is, is that what you really need? Uh, not to... Uh, God responds to him by saying, fool, you know, that's not what you want to hear. You know, we think about, you know, meeting with God and wanting to hear well done, good and faithful servant. This is the exact opposite. That, that word literally means that somebody who is, who is not paying attention to the precepts and the knowledge of, of, of God as the basis for life. And so God says, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Your soul's required of you. That, that has the connotation of a debt being called in. That there's a payment due. And, and every one of us has this same debt requirement. I was listening to a politician this last week, and they were talking about a Medicare for all. And they were saying, well, yeah, there's a lot of costs associated with, you know, government supplying health care for all Americans, and, but we don't consider what we're spending already, and they list the costs of what we spend in health care today, and, and then they started to add on other things. They said, but there are additional costs that you need to think about, and they made a list of some additional costs that are kind of outside of health care, and one of those things they listed was funeral costs, and I sort of stopped listening, because this is what I, I don't know I don't have an answer to any of those problems, right? I'm way not smart enough to know how we take care of everybody with health insurance, all that stuff. I, I, don't have a, I, I don't know. But this is what I do know. No matter how you pay for it, no matter how you provide health insurance, like you're not eliminating funeral costs, right? Every one of us has the same balloon payment due at some point. This man's was called due by God. And his life was taken. And God said, well, what do you have now? You know, who's going to have all this stuff in the barns that you filled up? You know, he sort of says, it could be left to a, f a fool. And in Ecclesiastes, you know, that's, that's what Solomon talks about. Well, whose will they be now? It might be a fool. If you've lived a, a selfish life, you know, I, one preacher said one time, what you've done in moderation, your kids will probably do in excess. If you've lived a selfish life, your kids are going to be a bigger fool than you are. Jesus essentially is, 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 is pointing out to us here. You know, who gets this stuff? We need to take, uh, pay attention to who takes priority in our planning. Uh, question number uh, three that we need to consider today is what does being rich towards God look like. Look at verse 21. So, so it is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. 
You know, this this farmer was laying up treasure for himself. He was stacking up everything he had uh, around him. We we need to stop and pause for a minute and consider, though, that there are really four categories of wealth that are highlighted in Scripture. There are four different kinds of people that fall on this spectrum, okay? There there are the righteously wealthy. Uh, you, you remember the story of Abraham? Abraham was faithful to God. He he he. He made his fair share of mistakes, but he gave back to God. He, he followed God. He left home and, and chased after God. He was, he was faithful, and God kept making him richer and richer and richer, right? He was a man of great wealth. You, you can do things the right way, and you can, you can earn, and, and, and you can be righteously wealthy. You can share those resources and, and be loving, love God first and love others, and there are examples of that in Scripture. There are examples of Scripture of the unrighteous wealthy, right? This farmer would be an example, somebody that's only concerned with themselves, and they're, they're greedy. They want more and more for themselves. They're not loving God first. They're not loving others. There are examples of Scripture of the righteous poor. You think about Jesus, and he, he sees one day these religious leaders coming in to make their offerings, and then this widow comes in. You know, all these religious leaders are making a big show of the amount of money they're dumping into the offering tray. This widow has like a penny, and she drops it in the offering tray, and tries to slide out the back. Jesus said, who gave more? Well, it was that widow who gave all she had as she was righteously giving to God even though she didn't have much. There are the unrighteous poor. You consider Jesus and his disciples. We think about them. Essentially, they are, they're poor. They're going from town to town, relying on the, the goodwill, the love of others to support them. And among those is a guy by the name of Judas who gets really upset when this lady worships Jesus with some expensive perfume because we could have sold that and it could have gone into the treasury and then I could have taken mine, the unrighteous poor. What do those categories teach us? Well, it teaches us that that Jesus isn't so concerned about whether you have a whole bunch or whether you don't have very much. It's how we handle, how we steward the resources that he's made available to us that concerns him. It's whether or not we will live with that, that idea of pursuing him first in loving others. If, if we kind of drop this idea of the American dream and, and we pursue instead God's commands, man, he will be, things will be so much better for us. We, we should at least not allow the American dream to get in the way of us remembering God's commands, to love Him first and to love others uh, as we love ourselves. What does being rich towards God look like then? We can't store up treasure for ourselves. Then we need to be rich towards God. Well, uh, certainly that means beginning a relationship with Him and pursuing Him and then serving Him and, and even giving back from the resources that He's given us uh, to be generous towards others, uh, to give consistently and sacrificially and cheerfully to, to His work. And, and here at Walula, we make that opportunity available every week to give back. And, and one of the things I'd, I'd, I'd love you to consider this morning 
If, if you're not in the habit of giving to God's work uh, cheerfully and sacrificially and consistently, then learn about what that means and, and, and participate in this next three months in this tithe challenge that we'll be having. We just want you to consider to begin giving to God's work uh, here at Wallula and other places. And, and if you want to be a part of that challenge, then I just want you to write on your communication card on that welcome home card somewhere. Just write challenge. And we're going to mail you a book this week and we're going to mail you some resources this week that will help you to begin taking those steps to give back to God's work, to kind of make sure that that eye disease isn't creeping in too much into our lives. And so just write the word challenge somewhere on that tithe chart, uh, uh, on that communication card. Write the word challenge somewhere on that communication card. Uh, you think about uh, being rich towards God, and, and uh, I, I just thought this week, well, one of the things I'm going to do is, is I'm just going to write Luke chapter 12, verse 21. And I, so I just wrote that scripture reference on the back of my debit card. You know, most of the things I purchase, I purchase with that debit card. You, you get it out and you swipe it or you punch it in or however you're, you're doing that. And, and so I just want, when I look at that card, to think, you know, am I being rich towards God? Not every purchase we make is bad, right? Some are essential, some are, you know, to benefit others, some are, some, it, not every purchase is bad. Not even every purchase is, that is for our enjoyment is bad. That's not what God wants you to believe or take away from today. But he just wants us to think, you know, am I being rich towards God as well? Am I loving others as well? And so I just wrote that Bible reference on the back of my debit card. Maybe you need to do that today. There's some Sharpies on the Next Step station. You can go home and do that or, or just post it somewhere that you'll see it daily. Uh, just, just Luke chapter 12, verse 21, and, and consider how you can be rich towards God. There's great opportunities, a coat drive going on this month for you to be rich towards God. You can be rich towards God through service. There's great opportunities presented here at Wallula with the shelter of of hope or third Thursdays or backpack buddies or, or any number of ways in the ministries available here at Wallula Christian Church. We just need to keep our eyes in the right place. I watched the World Series this last week. Uh, there was one game where there was a controversial play at first base. Some of you saw this. Uh, a hitter hit a little ground ball. They fielded it and threw it to first base. And there was kind of, there was almost or nearly, or maybe there was a collision at first base. And the, the ball dropped out of the first baseman's glove. And initially, they called the, the runner safe because the ball was dropped. And, and then they called him out for interference. And so it took a very long time for them to figure out how they were going to call this play. And this could have been solved very easily because the runner should have been out just based on how he hit it and where the fielder fielded it and how when he threw it the runner was going to be out if if they hadn't thrown it too far into the direction of the runner if both of those defensive players hadn't been paying so much attention to the runner then the throw would have been made online the throw would have made been made correctly and they would have caught it they would have secured it and the runner would have been out easily there would have been no controversy if their eyes and their heart was in the right place. Uh, that's so true in, in, with our finances and our relationship with Jesus. If we keep our eyes on God, if we love him first with all that we are, and we love others as we do that, uh, we can steward well, and we can uh, ask the right questions, and we can, we can make sure that we are being rich towards God. We won't hold on too tight to the resources that he's given us. The very best example of not holding on too tight is from Jesus. So there's a beautiful passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 2 
that uh, just talks about the fact that Jesus didn't hold on too tightly ever. Uh, Every week here at Wallula Christian Church, we celebrate communion. We remember the fact that Jesus didn't hold on too tight to what he had. Uh, Philippians says this, and beginning in verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, be held on to. Even though he lived in paradise, even though he was God, he didn't hold on to that too tightly. Instead, he emptied himself in verse 7 by taking the form of his servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross he let go of all that he had in paradise to enter this world to be born an infant to to live and to grow uh, to begin to teach and minister ultimately to die on a cross for your sins and my sins, to be buried in a tomb, and to raise on that third day victorious over even death. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every week here at Wallula, we we celebrate communion. We, We eat a piece of bread that represents his body, and we drink a cup of juice that represents his blood freely spilled for the forgiveness of your sins and my sins and the sins of the world, we essentially remember that Jesus didn't hold on to what he had too tightly, that he loved us enough to let go and enter this world, to die in our place, uh, to be raised on that third day, and to promise to return. This morning, as those trays are passed, take that bread and eat, take that cup and drink, and uh, you can place the empty cup back in the tray as it slides by. Just spend a few minutes thanking Jesus for letting go and making a way for us to be eternally prosperous with him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for uh, your plan. Uh, that you put into place from uh, before creation to make a way for us, a part of your creation, to, be, uh, to spend eternity in your presence, to have an eternal relationship with you, to, 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 to make our home in eternity and in paradise in your presence. We are so grateful for that. We know that the only way that's possible is because Jesus didn't hold on to what he had too tightly, that he let go, that he loved us first, and just help us to love you first and to love others. Help us to remember that as we, as we celebrate Jesus' choice to love us first. It's in his name. Amen.